Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. This sermon was recorded during our Sunday morning gathering in West Boise. Everything we do is to help you connect with God, find real community, and discover your purpose. Follow us online at redemptionboise.org or on Instagram at redemptionboise. Well, welcome to Redemption Hill. Uh, it's good to be together. Um, I, I have a, uh, a love-hate relationship with the Advent season. Like, I love all the stuff about it. But as a pastor, teaching a story, the Easter and Christmas are both the same thing. Every year you're going to hear some number of stories about these pivotal events in the Christian story. And so it's coming up with something fresh or new. The likelihood that you haven't heard my insights today it's pretty rare. Like, that's just the way things are. Um, but I do think that this is, the Advent story itself is not just important in that it's telling the story of God's incarnation among us, but it's beautiful. It's filled with a deep sense of God's story unfolding in unexpected ways. And if we can pull back from the familiarity of the story and enter in with kind of like fresh eyes, it's kind of incredible when we're able to peel back some layers and see it for the first time again. Um, this sermon series is, uh, is called uh, Moving In, uh, When God Moves Into the Neighborhood. And the, the key verse that we're, we're looking at is this one in John chapter 1. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. This is the story of not just Christmas, but the gospel. It's God moving towards us. It's him saying, you know what? Forget the sin, forget the death, forget all the ways that they've rebelled against me. I don't care. I'm going to move towards my people. I'm going to make a way. I'm going to have them come hell or high water. God is going to make a way to his kids. That's really good news, and that's why we're looking at Christmas. Um, Christmas and Advent is a cool time. We, we do what we, what we kind of call a, a character sketch through the Advent season. There's different ways of kind of formulating how you do Advent, and ours is kind of based on a we look at the key characters in the story and we spend some time each week kind of considering what God did in and through them and how God used them in the story. So our first week, what did we talk about last week? Anybody remember? Prophets, we talked about the promise and waiting for God to come and uh, really God's presence is what we're waiting for. This week is the angels. Next week is the shepherds. Week after that, it's the wise men. And then on Christmas Eve, we celebrate the person of Christ. And so this week we're gonna be looking at angels. And angels, um, Christmas in particular, there's a lot of misconceptions built on years of kind of cultural imagination, especially around angels. And it's like we got to, we got to peel back the layers on the Christmas story to get into it. Um, Okay, so this week we're talking about angels. They play a vital role in the story. um, And we have some funny ideas that are really shaped by media, mostly. Like we all have all of these stories. And I think one of the one of the ones that has influenced us the most is Clarence, the angel. And so we're going to watch a little clip of him. Oh, that's me. Sorry.
So there's a little taste of our cultural imagination around angels. And in, in a lot of ways, Clarence was not a, uh, he wasn't a typical vision of an angel in the mid-20th century when that movie was made. It was meant to kind of confound expectations, but he's become a part of how we think about angels. And I want you to think, like, what was your first idea of what an angel was? What did you, what did you imagine they were like? And I, w- I want you also to think about, like, where do you see angels showing up in the biblical story? And I want you to think, are those two things connected to each other at all? <laughs> how you thought about angels as a kid, or how you think about them now, and what the Bible says about what they are. I like this movie. I think it's a great story. It's about community. It's about important ways our lives are interrelated. And this bumbling angel is a, an essential part of that story. Um, But what do we know about what angels are really like from the biblical record? The answer is not much. If you've read or studied at all about it, there's just tiny little snippets we have of angels showing up. Um, Angels appear to many of God's people in the Bible to announce good news in Judges 13.3 and across the whole New Testament. They warn of danger. They guard from evil. They guide and protect us. They nourish. There's, there's a spot in Genesis 21 where an angel shows up and literally cares for and provides food for somebody. They instruct us. And when Christ came to earth as Savior, angels heralded, heralded his birth. They guided and warned his parents. They strengthened him when he was tempted. And in his last distress in the garden, angels ministered to him. Jesus spoke about the guardian angels of little children in Matthew chapter 18. Philip was guided by an angel in Acts chapter 6. The apostles were rescued from prison by an angel. And in a frightening situation, the apostle Paul was encouraged by an angel when he needed some encouragement. And so there's just all these ways that angels show up and interact with humans. But we just, like even in all those stories, the angels play these tiny, tiny roles, and we know so little about them. So we we do know some things that probably confound the Clarences of the world um, when we're talking about angels. The first is angels were never humans. So in this story, Clarence is saying he died in that outfit his wife had given to him. He became an angel, and he was in this this 
magical world of It's a Wonderful Life, he was trying to earn his way to Angel First Class, which is when he gets his wings. And you know that he got his wings when a bell rings. Okay, so you guys know the story. Um, so angels were never humans. There's, there's no instance where we see that people who were human attain some sort of celestial body that make them into angels. Um, we see in Job chapter 37 that the angels were there before the creation of humanity. So they were not the creator, but they were there before us. They existed before us. They were, they were also not there at the creation of all things, which means they're not a part of God. They're not the creator. They are created beings, we see in Colossians chapter 1. So although Clarence is a nice guy and all, an angel is not working their way up the ranks from guardian angel to a winged angel. And uh, actually, we only have a couple of pictures of what celestial beings look like. And they're almost, in the Bible, almost every instance of one of these celestial beings that's not God and not human. So everything in between God and human, okay? There's only two places where we see a picture of what they look like. And neither of those places are they called angels. Did you know that? (laughs) What are they called in those two instances? Do you know? Yeah, cherubim and seraphim. Okay, these two words, um, and, and the, the pictures that we have there is there's the seraphim, which is literally, as, as, as imaginatively as you can see, it's a dragon. <laughs> I don't know if you realize it. It's a, it's a winged um, lizard creature is the seraphim, and they, there's the, a part of the root of the word literally means fire, and so like... Like, if you can imagine it, the seraphim are kind of like dragons. However, however you want to take that, that's one of the reasons why we have a vision of this winged serpentine creature in our popular mythos is right there in the Bible from the seraphim. And the second is the cherubim. And they're in the book of Ezekiel. They have four heads and these multi-sets of wings, and they are in God's presence, and they're worshiping God. But in neither of those cases are they called angels. Now, what do we call angels in the Bible? Like, what do, they, what do the angels look like when they show up? They always show up as human forms. They look like us, but they look a little different than us. There's some, like, they know when they're standing before them that there's some heavenly presence to them. Uh, it's described as a glow. It's described as, like, a, a glory. And so the angels are messengers. So I, this is one of my pet peeves, but the word angel, we've turned into like this uh, technical word that is supposed to mean like a winged creature or like a, a, a part of God's army. But the word angel literally means what? Messenger. It doesn't, it doesn't have like a special term. That's just the Greek word for messenger. And so when you're reading it, you, anytime you see angel, just throw it out and maybe throw that version of the Bible out because it's terrible because the word is messenger, okay? That's the word that should be translated there is a messenger came. And that's what they look like is they almost always take human form. There are these other s- celestial creatures like seraphim and cherubim and there's the, these messengers or angels of the evil side that we see, but we don't have any vision of what they look like. So that's just a little, <laughs> little background on angels as a whole. Um, Clarence is described as a second-class angel. It's sort of like a ranked angel system where they're promoted from non-wing to wing based on how they 
care for the people that they guard in the It's a Wonderful Life world. That was an inventive way f- for them to really take Catholic angelology and kind of um, popularize it. That was the, what they, where they drew most of that from. And in the, in the Catholic angelology, there's like, I think, ten ranks of angels. And in the Jewish angelology, there's like nine ranks of angels. And you can, there's all these extra biblical texts that people have kind of made up to make sense of the little evidence we have from the Bible about angels. But here in the Bible, we have very little. Um, and, and really, that part, the second angel class thing, is, is kind of mostly true. The way that God talks about the angels is that they are an army or a host. They are, they are a, a massive um, group of angels that serve at the pleasure of God. And that there is some sort of rank because there is this archangel or first angel or head angel. And his name is Michael. We only know the names of two angels, Gabriel and Michael. And Michael is this archangel. And we don't think that there's any connection between bells ringing and angels gaining their wings, in case that was a question for you. That's probably not true, okay? Um, and, and they're described as hosts, which is a military term. And uh, God uses this term for himself, this name, Adonai Yahweh Sabaoth, or Sabaoth. Um, and that means Lord God of hosts or army hosts. And so the angels are a part of this army host that God has. But they just don't show up that often, and it's almost always in crucial moments in the story where God is directing some part of the story of history towards his ends. So most of the time, God's pretty hands-off, but then in critical moments, he enters into the story and does something special, and it's almost always through these angels. They're his primary way of kind of changing the direction of the story of humankind. He enters in in this mediated form through his messengers— to prepare for something that he's about to do. And in this case, we see the advent as the culmination of what we've all been waiting for, which is the Messiah to come and to show us God's presence and God's, God's real nature. And so everybody's been waiting for this, and the angel's coming. This is an important part. But he doesn't, God doesn't do that always through direct actions. It's almost always through angels. And really, angels speaking, what do angels speak primarily? Angelese, you're right. No, that's what Californians speak. Um, what, <laughs> what, what do angels speak? What's that? Praise? Yeah, okay, praise, yeah. The, like, that's the content. But, like, what are, what are they speaking when they speak? Ernie got it. God's word. God's word. Somebody give him a star. Does anybody have, like, a little sticker we can... <laughs> yeah, you're going to give him a punch on the shoulder on the way out. Um, but the angels are speaking literally what God tells them out loud. And so when angels speak and, and they appear before you, you're supposed to take it as this is the word of God. And so not only do we have God's direct action, do we have the way that he works in history, but almost always when God speaks directly, even in the way, like there's a, a few instances in the Old Testament where an angel shows up, and gives a vision to the writer of the book. And so God's word itself is mediated through these messengers that come along. And in the Jesus story, as, as we see the advent coming to life, we see angels step in in really vital ways. An angel shows up and talks to Zechariah. Who is Zechariah? It's Jesus' like 
second cousin uncle. It's a funny double relationship. We're not going to get into it, but he's related. He's related to Jesus. He's his cousin uncle on the Levite side, and he's a priest. And God shows up and says to Levi or to Zechariah, "You are going to have a son." And we'll get into that story here in a minute. We have an angel showing up to Joseph saying, "You're going to have a baby." Don't freak out. It's not yours, but you're supposed to raise it like it is yours. I promise this is real. <laughs> you have to imagine the angel's like, no, really, don't blow this. This is really important. You've got to stick around. And, the, and, and Joseph's like, okay, I'm, I'll take that. I'll do it. And then you got Mary where the angel appears and tells Mary not just that she's going to have a baby, but who the baby is and who the baby's meant to be. And then we have the angels that show up at the shepherds and pronounce this heavenly pronouncement of the king's arrival, his birth, so that everybody can celebrate. Um, so if you've, if you've looked at all those, um, you see that like God is doing something. Every time an angel shows up, it's like you, you've got to have these little, there's like four things where anytime they show up in a text, I kind of like tune in, slow down, read closely. Angels are one of those because when an angel shows up, it means that God's doing something big. Otherwise, he it. God's word doesn't have the sort of timing and prescience. Most of the time, it's happening over hundreds of years. But when angels show up, there's a timing element that's really important. So the angels are a vital part of the story. So we don't know much about these angels, but they speak God's word. They're faithful messengers of God. And we also see that they do what they're told. These angels, they do what God tells them to. They're faithful. They take God's word and they speak it aloud and they're not the center of the story. Um, yeah, so let's dive into Zechariah. If, you, if you've got your Bible, go to Luke chapter, let's see, 1 verse 5. I'm going to read through this. All right, and if you don't have a Bible, we bought some Bibles. So if you need a Bible, there's a stack of green Bibles on that table back there. You can grab one. You can take it home. If you've, if, like, I've, I've met a few people who have a Bible, but it's only their phone Bible, and it doesn't have, like, a, a place in their life. Now, I, I don't mind phone Bibles. I use software to do study and read. But when you have this, and it's sitting on your table, it's a literal physical reminder of God's word and his presence, and it's important in your life. So I, I think that you should have one, and it should sit on your shelf, and it should remind you of God's presence and his work. So have something that you read out of regularly. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verse 5 today, looking at the story of Zechariah. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah in the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. Okay? So these guys are awesome. They are, they are God people. They are God fearers. They are Yahweh law followers. And uh, the Levites had a sort of like national guard sort of system for like they, they, would, they would go a week or two a year when, they, when their number got called by a lottery system. And they'd show up at the temple and they would offer, they would do the work of the Levites in the temple at that time. So Aaron is one of those people. That's his responsibility. He's a priest of the tribe of Levi. Verse 7, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. This is another one of those key moments when someone can't get pregnant, 
and someone has a baby, like it means that God is up to something because it's literally him saying, I'm the God of creation. I make human beings out of nothing. You can trust me. I'm going to do something. And here's a sign. Here's a baby. So anytime you see somebody who's saying, I'm barren, I can't have a baby, pay attention to the Bible because they're important stories. Verse 8. Now while he was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter, enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now they had to use the, temp, like the lot system, like basically a a random way of choosing, not because everybody wanted to do it, but because everyone was a little afraid of it, okay? And so they, they would literally walk into not the Holy of Holies, but into the holy place, which is the inside the outer courts into the, the altar, and they would step up to the altar where they offered their sacrifices, and they would bring a daily offering of incense every single day for all the years that the temple was there. They'd, they'd bring this thing in, and they would offer incense that was meant to be literally a sign to God to bring his presence among his people. The burning of incense was meant to like cleanse the place and to make it a fragrant aroma so that the offerings were lifted up to God and he was pleased with his people. So he goes in to offer this incense and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. I was reading the story and I was struck by this most of the time when an angel shows up, it's not in the temple. Most of the time when God's presence shows up, it's not in the temple. It's not in the holy place. But in this instance, this is the place where you expect God's presence to show up. And Zechariah was there, and he was at least open to God's presence manifesting itself. Now, we, we don't talk about this enough, or we're going to talk about it more. But God's presence is the reason why we worship God, the reason why we follow Jesus, the reason why we do church is because we want the presence of God to be real and active in our lives. And Zechariah is getting a literal taste of God's presence showing up in this holy place that was set aside for God to commune with his people. The reason the altar was built, the reason the temple was built, was so that his people could come and join them and worship in his presence. And here is God, through an angel as a messenger, showing up and bringing a taste of his presence, of his word to his people. So there appeared an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and he fell and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, the messenger said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. I'm certain that this was not what Zechariah was expecting this messenger who's speaking God's word to him to say. He didn't expect it to be personal. He didn't expect it to be intimate. He didn't expect it to be about his family and this baby. But here God enters in and speaks not just to the whole people of Israel, but to Zechariah in particular and says, my presence is coming. And there's something different about John than about anybody else who's ever come along. For he will be great before the Lord. It doesn't say he's going to be great among the people. He will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or a strong drink. That means that he's going to take a Nazarite vow from birth to be set apart for God's work. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit 
even from his mother's womb. That's never happened in the history of Israel. That's never happened in the history of all humankind. God's spirit is breaking into this world in this special way. And Jesus says later that if you can accept it, John is a a reborn prophet of an earlier age who's bringing with him God's presence and power and voice to his people. Even from his mother's womb, he will have the Holy Spirit, and he will turn away. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him and said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you are going to be silent and unable to speak until the days that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. Now, they were afraid of what was happening inside, right? They were waiting, and they're like, oh, crap, it happened. He didn't confess his sin. He didn't offer enough sacrifices. Who's going to go in there and pull this dead body? That's what they're all thinking. What are they going to do? And I, because this was the, the altar area, I don't think he was wearing bells and a rope like he would for the Day of Atonement when they went into the into the Holy of Holies. So somebody's got to go in there and pull this body out. They're all just like, what's going on? And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. The angel entered in at just the right moment because God was preparing the way for his presence to break into this world. That's why the angels are important, is they play this vital role in showing us what God is up to. Um, I was thinking about it this week. I was thinking, angels are different than humans in a lot of ways. And I think a fundamental way that angels are different than humans is that they don't constantly seem to think about themselves like we do. I was imagining, like, they have this role as a messenger. And, like, what if, what if the Amazon delivery guy shows up at your door— he knocks on the door, he waits for you to open it, and he goes, I'm here. <laughs> right, you're welcome. I have a gift for you. Let me open it real quick. They open up the gift, and they hold it out and show you what you've purchased, and they say, look what I brought you. Isn't this amazing? I brought this all the way to here from our warehouse. You're welcome. My name is Bobby, and I... I'm here just for you, but I want you to acknowledge that I play a vital role in this logistics chain that brought you a toy from Taiwan all the way around the world to your doorstep. You're welcome. And then he <laughs> takes a bow, right? Like, I, Can you imagine? You'd, that'd be a funny day. I would laugh, and I'd be like, yeah, man, you want a tip? Like, I'd be blown up <laughs> just for the show. But that, that's not the attitude of the angels. What's the attitude of the angels? They don't have a name. They show up, they do their job, and they get out of the way so that the word of God goes forth. They play a particular role in being the presence of God in a place. Now, I want to ask you, why don't we have angels nowadays? 
why don't we always see angels like we used to? Even in some of the charismatic circles, in, in the Protestant tr tradition especially, angels have very little place in their, um, in their spiritual imagination or experience. Why is that? Have you, have you thought about that? Why is it different today than it used to be? I, I want to put this forth. The angels aren't necessary because something historic transformed when Jesus came and his spirit's presence broke into this world and then was made manifest in you and me. The angels are kind of old news because God's spirit has basically broken out into this world. And anybody who wants it can take it upon themselves and receive the word directly from God. We don't need these priests to, med to mediate between us and God anymore. We have Jesus, the high priest, who's, who's torn the curtain, opened up the gate, and this messenger has made a way for us to walk with God. So in some ways, the angels were vital at a time, but they're kind of like Western Union telegram deliverers in 2019. How many of you got a Western Union this week? <laughs> Anybody? No, we live in a digital age. That's kind of how the spirit is. It's kind of like Wi-Fi. It's everywhere. Maybe even 5G. It's fast. It's all over, all the time. God's presence has been unleashed on creation. And so the question for us is, when we look at the angels in the Jesus story, what can we take away from it? I think we're supposed to be just like the angels today. But we get to participate not just as servants, but as children of God and as a part of his kingdom. We can be like the angels in that we should obey God and say what he says. We're literally bearers of his word. And so we take what he says in his written word. We take what he says to our hearts. We take what he says to our community. And we speak it to a world that's looking for the inbreaking presence of God in their lives. We do what angels did where we bring with us a taste of God's glory and presence everywhere we go with the Spirit inside of us. But here's the thing. Angels do it because they know who their king is. They know where they get their, their marching orders. And we've been talking about it for a few weeks now, but if, if we want to participate in this kingdom way, it means that we've got to set down our right to do what we want the way we want it, when we want it. Because angels are at the beck and call of their king and their master. They're Adonai, Yahweh, Sabaoth. They're ready to take their marching orders and live it out. I want to challenge you this week, as you go forth and think about the Advent season, what does it look like for us to take on this role of the embodiment of God's word made alive through the spirit in our lives? to a world that's desperately looking for answers and for God's presence to break in and for the joy of God's loving, life-giving, altering, transformational presence in their lives. People are looking for that. What does it look like for us to participate in our role? The angels knew their role. They showed up. They didn't make it about them. They did their job. They did it, you know, with some... You know, like, they, they did it with class. They just showed up and did their job. They didn't take a bow. They, they, weren't, they weren't looking for glory. And every time somebody tried to worship them, they're like, no, 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 no. And they point to God and say, it's all about him. And so what does that look like for us in this Advent season to read some of these stories from Luke and Matthew 
and these humble servants and their faithful service and see them play a see us play a vital role in proclaiming that God has moved into the neighborhood that his presence is coming and that it can bring transforming life to us let's pray Lord God, I like these angel stories. I, I think they're cool. I think they're kind of crazy. Um, I, I, I like seeing the, the very edges of the fray of this world and the eternal presence of you bumping into each other because that's what my heart aches for. My heart aches for you. My heart aches for the life that you bring. My heart aches to be one with you like Jesus is with the Father, like the Spirit is with Jesus. Lord God, I pray this morning that we see the example of the angels. We see the work that they've done in this story, and we say, you know what? I want to be a faithful bearer of the good news, the proclamation that the king has come, that he is faithful, and that he is bringing a transformation to this world through his presence. Lord God, I, I pray that we watch these angels and we say, I want to be faithful like them. I want to listen to the Father like they do. I want to take what they say, what you say, Lord, and I want to speak it. And I want to be a faithful witness. I want to persevere and overcome in this life to the next. Lord God, bring your power into our lives by your spirit to help us walk in your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This content is meant to help you understand the Bible and what it means to follow in the way of Jesus. But we have seen that this can't happen in isolation. It only happens in community. We'd love to have you join us at Redemption Hill or a church local to you that helps you grow in following Jesus. Drop us an email if you have any questions for our teachers to info at redemptionboise.org.